This is John Martinka and the Getting the Deal Done podcast series. And my special guest today is my friend Richard Parker. Richard is the owner of Roy Street Advisors and Diomo Corporation in uh, Boca Raton, Florida. Richard and I have known each other for about 15 years or so, and I am very glad to have you here today, Richard. Thank you. It's great to be here. I, uh, I appreciate you having me. So tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you're from, how you ended up in Florida, how you got in the M&A business. Okay, certainly. Well, hopefully I don't bore your uh, listeners and viewers. I'm uh, 60 years old, going to be 61 next month. I grew up in uh, Montreal in Canada and lived there till I was 35 and was in a uh, um, consumer products business. I, uh, in 1990, I went into my own business, which was um, manufacturer's rep and started acquiring some businesses along the way. Smaller businesses became very intrigued with the uh, whole concept of building my business through growth and acquisitions. And I guess started to get a little bit of a reputation amongst my generation of uh, peers at that point and started helping some of my uh, friends and colleagues make some of their own acquisitions. And then in 1996, I had had the uh, Eastern Canadian distribution rights from a uh, uh, for Sega video products at the height of its uh, uh, of its uh, climb and fight against Nintendo with the whole market flipped from Nintendo having 80% share in Sega 20. And by the end of a couple of years after that, it was the opposite. And um, I just got lucky. I'm, I wasn't smart. I just happened to be in the right place in the right time. And my business grew from, my rep business grew from a couple of million dollars a year to over $30 million a year. And uh, I guess part of the issue was that um, I was making a little more money than most of the senior executives from Sega. So they bought me out and I was going to move to Toronto, where most of the, uh, the head offices had started to migrate from um, Quebec, uh, mostly because of the language issues. And then decided, you know, what the heck, if I'm going to move, I always hated winter. If I'm going to move, I'm going to move somewhere nice and warm. And that's how I wound up in Florida in 1996. OK. All right. And. Did you get in the M&A business right away then? My first um, venture, I was actually in a business in, in the golfing industry and worked that for a couple of years. And when I exited that business, I decided to get um, um, get involved full, full bore in, as opposed to just dabbling in the M&A world. And it first started out with relative to the uh, program that I wrote and then got into the M&A world. And I... I messed around for probably about a year learning the ropes of more um, formalized representation and where I wanted to play and did a lot of research. And that took me to a couple of years later. And once I got my head clear as to the sector and space where I wanted to play, and I, I actually got a number of engagements quite quickly and ramped up, um, ramped up fast and did well um, pretty quickly. Okay. Now, you wrote a workbook, uh, How to Buy a Good Business at a Great Price. Um, that's Diomo. Uh, yes. Tell us about that, when you wrote it, how it came about, uh, you know, how it's doing. Okay, great. So I was, um, when I exited the golf business, and that was 1999, I was um, de um, debating whether or not I wanted to get 
um, into M&A full bore or acquire a business. And I decided to go down the road of acquiring something, a smaller business. I say smaller business under uh, probably under $5 million. And I started looking at this acquisition of a distribution company that was based in South Florida. <clears throat> they were in the uh, commercial laundry business. I say commercial laundry uh, apl appliances that they would sell to uh, mostly to uh, apartments, condominiums, um, uh, dormitories, and also provide sales and service. And I got very deep into that acquisition and um, had already had an offer in place, an accepted offer, and started doing the uh, formalized due diligence, uh, getting very granular with the formalized due diligence. And I determined that um, most, if not all of the representations that were made related to the strength of the business and the finances, which is something I see you smiling about because it happens all the time, especially in the, switch, in the lower end. I mean, it was a disaster. <clears throat> and I walked from the deal. Um, and I remember uh, walking out to my car in the parking lot and thinking to myself, you know, the average person who didn't have the benefit that I had of 10 years of quasi M&A work, making a number of acquisitions and running businesses, because I'd made a probably about four or five acquisitions to that point, more than likely would have um, gone through with that purchase and would have had a disaster on their hands. And so I became very intrigued from what happened, you know, what does the individual in the lower end of the market do um, to educate themselves and what tools and resources are available to them relative to the market for them to be able to make good decisions. And that was at the time when the internet bubble had just burst and everything was free on the internet, and there was tons of information. I started digging into it, and the, digging into it, and the more I dug, the more I discovered that the even the volumes of information that were available were ridiculous. I mean, not very helpful, generic at best. And I had made, like I said, it was I think five or six acquisitions at that point. I said, you know what? I wasn't sure what I was going to do at the next stage of my life, but I'm going to write a guide, a program that's going to help people walk them through the process for buying a business mostly geared towards individuals and really not a book, just a, a real um, uh, workbook that laid out step by step and could be a real handholding situation to take people through the entire business buying process, all the things they're going to face, what, they, what they're going to come across, what they should do and um, how they should react to certain situations. And I wrote that and completed that actually in 2001, April 23rd, it was uh, 21 years that we um, have been online selling that. And I really wrote it as more of a labor of love to be able to put all these years of, of, of deal notes that I had because I had compiled it, you know, hundreds, if not close to a thousand deals that I'd looked at or been involved in and put all the notes together. And the night that we, before we went live, my wife said, well, how many think you're going to sell? And again, this was really early days, the internet. And my answer was, you know what, if I sell one, because I didn't do this for the money. If I sell one and I can help one person either buy the right business, but business, but more importantly, avoid buying the wrong one, it's perfect. And that's the uh, story behind it. I never imagined that it would turn into the business that it did turn into. I mean, we've sold into about 80 something countries and tens and tens of thousands of these. And it helped a lot of people buy businesses and plenty of others avoid buying the wrong one. Yeah, and I, I, if I look back to that era, most of the books out there were all about how to buy a business with no money, which is only, to me, that's really only applicable if it's a bad business. Well, you're absolutely correct. And it didn't work then and it doesn't work now. I mean, part of the thing that's nice about this process is very little changes 
over time. The process by and large has remained the same for the last 50 years. You know, interest rates can change. Maybe some SBA loan details will change. Certain businesses get hot or whatever. But by and large, the process remains consistent. You know, and one of, one of the main reasons why um, you and I, uh, I think, really uh, enjoyed getting to know each other and becoming friends was we're both pretty realistic about what this process is all about. And then when you said, you know, the idea of buying a business, no money down, it just doesn't work, right? I mean, there's people who promote that, but it's it's just, it, if you can do that, you you typically do not want that business. Yeah. So tell us what you're doing now with, uh, besides, you know, the publishing, you've got Roy Street Advisors. So um, I'm full blast into the M&A world, seller side representation, um, predominantly, typically representing businesses with a uh, EBITDA of about a million dollars and up. They say that, you know, a million dollars to 10 million, but that's almost a little misleading because the, the sweet spot is about a million to $5 million. Because once you start getting over 5 million of EBITDA, it really lends itself to the larger investment bankers. And, um, you know, I've reached a stage, thankfully, in my life that, um, you know, financially, I'm in good shape. And I can really do, um, I do this because I love it. And I take a select number of engagements and get to work with uh, people that I like and people that I trust and people like yourself who are working on a nice transaction together. Yeah. And um, so full, full blown uh, M&A. Um, and, you know, I've, I've always enjoyed this because every transaction is different. You learn something on in every deal. You get to meet some really interesting people. And, you know, one of the fascinating parts of what we do, you and I, is you learn a ton about businesses sometimes you didn't even know existed, you know, a, a few days before. So it's, you know, if you're someone who's intellectually curious and enjoys mixing with people, it is a great arena and uh, something I've always enjoyed because I know I could do this till I die, right? You know, it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's just really a fun industry. Sometimes yeah. tears your, sometimes yeah. tears your heart out there, but it's, but it's fun. Yeah. I'm going to just interject here. You know, one of the things I've noticed about you as we've worked together is there, there's a retired business broker doing lots smaller, small deals here in the Seattle area, but you and him, and I think myself included, um, the two of you would just pick the business apart before representing it and, and selling it and instead of the, let's see how much lipstick we can put on the pig. Let's, let's find out what's really there and let's disclose it because these buyers aren't stupid. You know, they're, they aren't stupid, and the ones that aren't don't know enough, enough can get fooled. When I first started in this world, I started working in the lower-end businesses, and I stopped, I, I fired my listings because I couldn't, even though I was representing sellers, I couldn't bring myself to letting a buyer go through with a deal because I just knew it was a garbage business. And these are people, the lower, the lower you go as far as purchase price, the higher it is that the price represents a disproportionate amount of that person's net worth. And so people were betting their lives on this, everything that is saved up. And so, you know, our industry, as you know, if you get any uh, worked with any, you know, main street business brokers, you know, they, they've been teaching listings, listings, listings for 50 years, right? Just go get listings and there's a buyer for every business and there isn't most don't sell. And so I, I, do more due diligence on a listing than some of my buyers do before I take the engagement because I want it. First of all, I want it to sell because like, time is all I have. 
and have to be completely transparent. I want, you know, the one you and I are working on, we're both of the same milk. We tell them everything. We don't want a buyer to have any surprises. We want them to be aware of everything. It's got to be transparent because they're going to find out anyway. So you might as well disclose it at the beginning. And even if they don't find out, you don't want them to be in a bad position. So, you know, we definitely share that, 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 uh, that viewpoint. I, for me, it's worked and I think it's the right way to do it. Yeah. So there's a couple of examples of things you've worked on that really stand out. And, uh, you know, whether it was the complexity of the deal or, you know, how the buyer just uh, knocked it out at a park, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So, you know, I'm very proud of the business purchases that I've made over the years and I've purchased 13 companies and sold um, 12 of them. Um, there's two um, uh, deals that I worked on, which that really gives me great satisfaction. And one of them was I met this lady, um, going to be close to 15 years ago. And um, she was in the um, school products business and I'll leave her name out of it only because just in fairness to her, but she was in the uh, school products business, had a number of retail locations and going back to the beginning time, she had one store and um, found her husband. They were running a husband, wife, her husband was uh, messing around with the store clerk. That became a real um, difficult situation. He left. She was stuck with two babies at home, just a few dollars and had to decide whether or not she was going to buy inventory or food. I mean, that's really what she was down to. And she bought inventory. I mean, they were at the season where, I mean, she had to load up her one store with inventory because of back to school time. And she's one of the brightest people that I've ever met in my life. Um, fast forward from there to about 20 years later, she built up the largest chain in South Florida of um, school supplies number of locations, catering to parents and teachers. And um, she hired me to represent her, represent her at that point. We sold her business for a lot of money and she was so grateful and I was grateful to meet her. And I just loved her story because it really embodied true entrepreneurship and not only true entrepreneurship, but true entrepreneurship at a time where very few women were in business. Mm -hmm. And it was just a phenomenal story. Even I, I, I think about it now, I still feel great about it. And um, she remains a friend, of course, to this day, but it was a, a beautiful story. Um, one of my other clients who ended up uh, buying my book um, also quite a, quite a while ago, ended up, um, was going to make some acquisitions, decided to start a business um, and made some acquisitions along the way. He had hired me as a consultant and um made some acquisitions, built up his business um, significantly, then hired me as his, uh, as his broker, he used to call me his consigliere, and um, sold that business for uh, uh, an enterprise value of over $20 million, and then did it again um, with the PE firm for over 50 a few short years later. So that was a great story. Um, and then probably the other one that I would touch on, not to be too long-winded, I apologize, was you know from 2017 to the year 2020, I was in the uh, mini uh, uh, private equity business with a, a family office funded PE firm. And unfortunately my partner in that business and my very good friend um, was killed in a car accident in December, 2020, as you know uh, well about. Um, but that 
tenure in that industry was phenomenal. It was incredibly interesting. We were funded by his family, a very well-known uh, family, uh, uh, wealthy family. We got access to some unbelievable people and some resources, and it was really fascinating. I mean, just, just um, really, really enjoyable work and got to see that side of the investment world in businesses from a much um, larger level, which was really, really exciting. Cool. Very nice. So you work, these days you work primarily with sellers and you've written the guide on buying, again, uh, how to buy a good business at a great price. So what would be the top few tips you would have for business buyers? And let's keep it to the, you know, the level of the, uh, you know, million, two, three EBITDA, the, the, the searchers, the uh, maybe growth by acquisition, et cetera. Okay, so... You know, one of the biggest things is to know what you don't know, and especially for individuals that are going into this for the first time, is being aware that unless you've purchased a number of business, this process is, is completely new. And so the educational piece is really, really important to understand what the process looks like um, and what the various steps are. The second piece would be, you know, know what you know and don't know about yourself and what's a realistic, what business is right for you, what business is wrong, um, strengths and weaknesses. That's, that's critically important because you don't want to learn try to learn a skill that's fundamental that to that business while you've bought the business. I mean, it's okay to get on the job training and learn on someone else's dime when you're hired as an employee, but not when you're the owner. So you want to apply what it is that you're best at. doesn't necessarily mean experience in an industry, but what you're best at. Um, and you and I have talked about that before with all the number of buyers that you've, um, that you've worked with. And, and, and the third piece was, would be understanding getting to the finish line. You know, you'd mentioned earlier buying a business is for no money down and you see all these webinars and boot camps where people teach how to buy distressed businesses. Understand what it takes to get to the finish line, what lenders are going to be available, search funds, especially to make sure that, you know, if they do find something that the person's going to be there to write the check, because it's very easy to say that at the beginning. And part and parcel of that is understanding every business has warts. There's no perfect business. So a, a business broker who was a, uh, he, he, um, he was a World War II vet. His name was Jerry Efros. He was a tail gunner in World War II. He always told me, he said, you know, anybody asks you what the perfect business is, tell them to buy a toll booth. You know, other than that, every business is going to have warts and they should be very comfortable with that. So, you know, to me, the three things are, you know, getting an education and aligning yourselves with um, good professionals in the industry. Um, knowing what it is that you're good at and not good at and understanding, you know, what it takes to get to the finish line. Yeah, that finish line is important. Uh, just interject. Uh, I just wrote a newsletter. I, I agreed to help a friend of a friend sell a, a business, a very small business. Uh, I said, I'm not taking it to market. You're too small. But he said, I have buyers waiting. And I wrote the newsletter saying he basically he thinks selling a business is like selling a car. You sign the title, let's say goodbye. And there's so many complexities and protections. And uh, yeah, well, why do I have to show them that? Okay, well. That's right. So let's because the car, you least, you know what you're, the car you least you know what you're getting, you can drive it off the lot. Yeah, you're, and you can take it to a mechanic. Well, taking a, the business to the mechanic being due diligence takes a lot longer than the car inspection. Absolutely. Great analogy. So... Finish up. What advice do you have for future sellers of uh, lower middle market businesses? 
Okay, so the first thing I would tell them is run the business like you have to sell it, especially if they were a buyer at one point. They should understand what they were up against and think and concerns that they have. So run the business like you have to sell it, which means good books and records. As a matter of fact, great books and records. Try, if at all possible, to groom a second tier of management. That is such an enormous void in smaller businesses where the owner started it and the business grew and they kept changing their lifestyle as the business got more successful, they kept basically taking out more money and not investing in the business with, with people because they want to be able to, you know, anybody who's going to buy it, especially an institutional buyer, wants to know if, you know, if heaven forbid the owner gets hit by a Pepsi truck, someone's going to be able to run the business. So have good people in place at the second tier of management. I always like to use the term, what keeps you up at night? You know, whatever keeps you up at night about the business is going to be a red flag to a buyer. And so think about those areas and try to put in place mechanism to solve for that well before you plan on taking the business to market. I like to tell people, you know, at least two years before you take a business to market, you should be putting these um, procedures and processes um, into place um, and, and certainly related to transparency. You know, your business should be an, an open book. You want to be able to welcome a buyer at the appropriate time and lay out everything. And there shouldn't be any secrets or surprises and concerns. Try to solve for them. You can't solve for everything. But if there are concerns, do your best to address them. Um, but understand that those can become you know, substantial issues for buyers. And how do you get over the hump? Not to give them a sales pitch, but realistically, how can they gain comfort knowing those any particular concerns like customer concentration or no second-tier management? How can they... Um, a buyer be comfortable with that. And so think when you, if you identify what keeps you up at night and the weaknesses and concerns of the business and you, you act on them, you'll not, only make your, you'll not only make your business better, but you'll also make it better and more sellable. Great advice. Thank you. Richard, how can people get hold of you? Um, the easiest way is, well, one of two ways. The easiest way actually is, is uh, via email to RP, my initials, RP, Richard Parker, at Roy Street, R-O-Y, S-T-R-E-E-T, RoyStreet.com, or um, R. Parker at Diomo, D like David, I-O-M-O.com. And I would encourage people on the buying side of businesses now or in the future to check out Diomo.com for the workbook. Uh, you know, I've got my own book. Yours is a workbook. Mine's a book. They complement each other very well. And I think readers would find they uh, pretty much say the same thing. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. Your book is terrific. And uh, any collaboration that we've done together or buyers that, you know, recommend it, get in touch with you have uh, raved about you. So, and I'm, and I'm excited to keep working on this other transaction. We're yeah. doing. That's, that's nice. We're getting, yeah, to, we're having fun with this. Talk to each other. Yeah. We okay. get to have fun with this. Thank you very much.